Hey everyone, Lynn Smith here, and welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting that we're all on together. Created by Munchkin, no wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. As always, my producer Justin is here. Hi, Justin. Hey, Lynn. Hi. You know, I'm so glad we're talking about this because, you know, when you bring home a new baby, you get home and it's kind of like, what do I do now? Right? Like people are coming over, they're bringing you food, they're smiling at the baby and you're surrounded by this expected feeling of joy and we end up feeling really lonely. It's one of the most surprising things about becoming a parent is how you, you're adding a person yet Mm. you feel more alone. I've noticed a lot of our guests have mentioned it in Mm -hmm. other episodes when we're talking about other topics. Uh, When you're talking about bonding, loneliness came up. Uh, Fatherhood, loneliness came up. So it's definitely a thing that's, that's in the air. Yeah. And not only are you adding a person to your family, but you're adding the credential of parent to your resume. And that's a whole new community of people. So you would think that you're gaining so much. And so one of the things I heard a lot was like, oh, go find some mom groups to hang out with or a play group. But the reality is, is we don't have time. I mean, Justin, how how often are you able to be the friend that you were pre-kids? Once you have kids, it's not just like, hey, let's go out, uh, out on the town for the night. It goes down to like, hey, I can't get into this on the phone right now because I'm doing four things at once. That's right. So you just lose a a bit of that depth in your friendships at the same time that you're losing the time to spend with those same people. This experiences of loneliness is bigger than just finding a play group and finding somebody to hang out with. It's deeper than that as well. So today we're going to have an incredible conversation with Dr. Julie Fraga. And then you'll hear a funny and so relatable story from Nell Frizzell about her experience with parents loneliness and how she got through it. A lot to get to. So let's go. Dr. Julie Fraga is an award-winning top psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and works with new parents. She's also a mom. Dr. Fraga, thanks for being here. You know, it's a really special time when we're new parents, and I know that's who you work with the most. Do you talk to them about loneliness? Is this a topic that comes up? Oh my gosh, it's a topic that comes up virtually with all of the moms that I work with. And I think it's a topic that really catches new parents off guard. There are classes on breastfeeding, what to expect during childbirth, maternity leave, maybe even financial classes, but no one talks about loneliness and how to navigate that emotion. Why don't more people talk about this? It's so vulnerable when somebody is depending on you for their Mm -hmm. care and their survival that oftentimes we have this belief perhaps that we should be the parent without any needs. (sighs) These things can coexist together. You can absolutely love your baby and be lonely. It doesn't make you weak in any way. I was really confused as to why I was lonely. Is this postpartum? Mm -hmm. Is this confusion? And it truly was loneliness. You know, my husband had to go back to work and I just felt this overwhelming feeling of, I can't do this by myself. Even though the new months of parenthood are filled with a lot of activity, feeding your baby, changing your baby's diaper, getting your baby to sleep, a lot of that feels like Groundhog Day. Mm -hmm. And so there's some kind of monotony in there. And we know just in psychology research, let's say in your workday, right? If you're doing the same thing over and over again, it can lead to something that psychologists dub hedonic adaptation, which means our tendency to get used to things over time and for that to equal a kind of blah feeling. 
The other piece is that we can feel lonely because of the internal shift in our experience entering into parenthood, which is this identity change. For me and for so many of my friends, there was that identity crisis. Mm -hmm. This is supposed to be the happiest time of my life. Mm -hmm. That's what I see when I look at social media posts. One month of pure bliss. (laughs) What was like before this, right? And you're Mm -hmm. like, wait, are you in the same newborn days I was in? (laughs) And, And there might be some guilt that we feel around the way that we think we should be reacting to it. Like, I think I should be going to a mom group, or I think I have to breastfeed. Mm -hmm. And when we can't, or we don't Mm -hmm. choose to do so, we can feel alone in those decisions. I think it really helps to just validate your own experience. For instance, not every parent is going to feel comfortable going to a new class and finding a new friend. And if you know that about yourself, validate that experience so that you can get in touch then with your need. Yes. You know, I think there's a lot of this talk of connection and it can be really challenging, one, to Mm -hmm. find the time to connect with other parents, but two, authentic connection where you're not just Mm -hmm. making small talk that's exhausting, Mm -hmm. but you're really sharing the vulnerability piece and the honesty It's that authenticity that allows us to not feel alone. What do you say to those that might feel afraid to share in that way? They're afraid of what might come on the other end of that, the judgment that might come along with saying it like it is. You know, our inner critic is often much louder and more Mm -hmm. judgmental than anyone would be if we were to tell them what's going on. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be really helpful to share your story and to have it witnessed by others. I think any experience that veers parents away from, quote unquote, the expected experience of childbirth and new parenthood can make loneliness more acute. If you have a traumatic birth and then you go to a new parent group, but nobody else had a traumatic birth, you could be like, well, what's wrong with me? Having a baby in the NICU, that's a big one that can really leave parents feeling super lonely. Healing loneliness does require a witness, a non judgmental, loving person yes. that can validate what we've been through. You know, the partnership that you had before having your child changes and transforms. How do you deal with some of that? I always encourage partners to have and make room to check in with each other and to leave room for each person's experience. And that can really prevent this kind of contests, you know, that can come Mm. up when we're not having our needs met. I'm sure we've all said this to our partners. Well, I got up five times last night and (laughs) I- The scorecard. Yeah, the (laughs) scorecard, right? (laughs) Behind that scorecard is the emotion that maybe you feel alone, maybe you feel sad about not being seen. Mm -hmm. If you felt your partner saw you and said, You've been doing so much. Oh my gosh, you got up five times. We might not reach for that scorecard in the same way. What about single parents? Single parents, from the get-go, they were just alone with their baby. So they don't have anyone else, a partner to even not only share in the kind of care of the baby, but talk about what's going on internally for them as they adjust to their new identity. We hear the expression, you know, it takes a village because People used to live in villages and everyone in the Mm -hmm. village helped to raise the children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that. In many cases, we don't even have family members that live Mm -hmm. nearby. I think that definitely plays a role in loneliness. 
If you don't have family nearby, you don't have people that can help with your childcare, find those people. They don't have to be biologically related to you to fill that role. I think every parent wants to hear that, but feels guilty Mm -hmm. of asking for help. And the point is we are not meant to raise kids on our own. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to have other people helping Mm -hmm. us, even if that's a friend and calling for that SOS. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this isn't just when you first become a parent. You know, I'm seven years in and I still feel lonely at times because there's always a new phase that your child goes into, that you're navigating the feelings and and all of the new things you have to learn. So for parents who are experiencing this, what are some action steps? Number one, figure out the origin of it. That means just spend some time with yourself because oftentimes when we're so busy caring for the baby or caring for our kids, we don't have access to our own minds. Time to even think about what we're feeling or name what we're feeling. So taking a moment of self-reflection, what's going on for me in this moment? That's where emotional self-care comes in. I think self-care can be misunderstood as maybe going out for coffee, going to a yoga class, but really there's an emotional piece of tending to our inner lives. The second thing is to figure out what you desire. Identify what the pain point is for you. What is the need that pops up? Do you need to maybe get out of the house. A need might be actually for alone time to just not have anyone asking anything from you for even if it's 20 minutes. Maybe you desire to have your pre-baby life back. Maybe you desire to be feeling differently about the experience. And those things are absolutely common because in this transition to parenthood, we're really integrating our identities. Just like if you started a new job at work, no one would expect that you wouldn't have emotions or need an adjustment to your new role, and that would take some time. And the third thing is take action. You could sit down and have that self-reflection time in journal. You could have five-minute conversation with your partner, go out for a walk, take the baby with you if you can't go by yourself. Action helps us to feel empowered, like we have some say in what we're experiencing. And the fourth thing is stitch together a community. Parents are worried that they're going to come across as needy or be burdensome. And, you know, having needs doesn't make you needy. Having desire doesn't make you selfish. So finding that community, when somebody else says, I feel that way too, there's just like this sigh of relief. It's like, wow, I'm not the only one. Doctor, such amazing insight and so important to everyone who's listening that is going through this. You are seen and you are not alone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, Justin, this sort of hits home for me today because even last night I had a really challenging parenting evening. And mm. I was surprised at the fact that even though my husband was there and going through it with me and everything, I felt really alone in the challenges that continue to come up. And when she talks about sort of the desire, you have to identify what the desire is. You know, I want to be able to have an easier relationship with a challenging child that I have. I want that. That's that's sort of the desire that is speaking to me in particular. And so it just reminds me that 
that should be my focus. And I got a great note from my sister this morning when I reached out sort of, I'm a horrible mom kind of a day. And she said, (laughs) you know, she texted me and she's like, hang in there. Please take breaks. You're a great mom and you have to take care of yourself. And I think this is the community that the doctor's talking about. Like we have to find those people that when you are feeling alone, that's going to send you that note and tell you that you're not. That's really great. Thank you for sharing that, Lynn. Uh, Shout out to your sister for being there for you when you need it. And that's the kind of support that we all need. (laughs) It really is. Imagine this. You see a woman walking down the block with her baby talking about Rocky movies. (laughs) You've got to listen. Here's our correspondent fleece with the parenting story of the day. Nell Frizzell was a new mom living in London. She arrived at a doctor's appointment with her newborn baby. I went up to the receptionist who is behind a glass sort of panel. She asked me my name and it came out, I sort of went, um, Nell Frizzell, <laughs> like a sort of performing dog. And I realised it was because it was the first time I had spoken to someone all day. And by speaking, I mean making a noise other than a sort of humming, soothing, clicking, when you're trying to pretend you're a placenta to try and get your child to go back to sleep. I think that was one of the times that I was suffering from acute loneliness because I wasn't talking to anyone. And more to the point, they weren't talking back to me. Her partner was retraining as a teacher on the other side of London. His commute was an hour and a half each way. It would be dark when he left. It would be dark when he came home. So one of my overriding memories of that time is standing at the window, watching my partner getting onto his bike and just cycling off into the dark. It was almost like seeing off someone going out to sea. There was such a feeling of desperation thinking, and now I'm alone. And he didn't want to be doing that. I don't think many co-parents, fathers, partners do want to do that. I was still completely disoriented by the sort of cataclysmic change that is birth. And I was there on duty 24 hours a day in every way that you can possibly be needed by another person. Life had also become incredibly labor intensive. You're constantly checking the clock, checking their nappy, checking your breasts, checking their skin. Have you got enough bread? What time does the shop close? All of those things. It's like a sort of ticker tape. I used to think about the 24-hour rolling news. There was just a sort of belt of constant needs, duties, tasks, rolling under everything I did. And that can make you feel quite lonely because a lot of that work isn't shared. I'm carrying the entirety of that labour, and I have to hold it in my mind, and my mind is shot to shreds by the fact that I'm not sleeping and I'm not eating. I had so little left to go out and, you know, we say it so easily, go to a playgroup, go to a cafe, go to a mum's group. That stuff necessitates a certain level of privilege, financial, logistical, emotional, health-wise, all of those things. You know, if you've just had a C-section or if you're experiencing anxiety, just leaving the house isn't just leaving the house. It's the Matterhorn, and you've got to climb it every day. She felt the pressure from people who told her she should be talking to her baby and she should be getting out of the house. You've got to get out of the house. You've got to see people. The longer you leave it, the harder it'll get. So eventually... I put my son in a sling and I'd be walking around my neighbourhood 
And I'd be thinking, yes, I've got to talk to my son, talk to him, I'll talk to him. What am I going to say? So <laughs> I can really clearly remember walking and basically recounting to my son scene by scene the entire plot of Rocky, <laughs> the first Rocky film. I just needed words to be coming out of my mouth. It's quite embarrassing to be in public saying, there's a lamppost. Oh, look, someone's dropped a sandwich. You look deranged, or at least people will pity you. So I'd be walking along instead saying, and then Sylvester Stallone turns to Talia Shire and says, we're a couple of coconuts. You know, just doing this terrible impression. And I'd be trying to do it in this sort of sing-song voice that I knew from children's TV. Paulie is an alcoholic and he hates Rocky. He punches the man so much that his eye bleeds and they have to split it open with a knife, otherwise it'll close up forever. While talking was helpful to her son, it didn't alleviate her loneliness. I think loneliness is silence, but it's a particular silence, the silence of worry. The silence of self-reproach, of guilt, of shame, of feeling like you're not living up to this vision of mother. The quality of that silence that you have no eye contact, the rest of the outside world doesn't even understand the labour that you're undertaking. There is also in that a worry about your baby. Of course, you know, as I was walking around with him in the sling, with his face pushed up against my very chest, there would be moments, whole minutes, where I would stop and my blood would freeze and my heart would pound and I wouldn't know if he was still breathing. You know, when a baby sleeps, it's so gentle, their breathing is so light that you can, if you're already in a state of anxiety, which you are because you're sleep deprived, you can convince yourself, I would say tens if not hundreds of times a day that something has gone cataclysmically wrong with your baby. They're too quiet. Have they eaten enough? Can they hear you? Can you see them? Will they have rolled over? And as they get older and older, am I ignoring them? Should they be allowed to touch that? Will they put that in their mouth? Have I made them antisocial? Have I overworried? Have I been too hard? You know, there's so much self-recrimination. And all of that is an act of love. She started to research loneliness. In the UK, there was a piece of research that said, that over 80% of mums who were under 30 felt lonely some of the time, while 40% reported being lonely often or always. That's a huge number. So we've got to address that. And that's not just a women's problem. That's not just a parent's problem. That's the human problem. Also, the way we process social pain, of which loneliness is an obvious one, feeling ignored or dismissed or unheard, we actually process that in the same part of our brains along the same neural pathways that we process physical pain. And there may be people who haven't experienced loneliness like this, but if they want to understand how I felt, I would say it, it hurt. Then the least likely person helped turn things around. One rainy, grey afternoon, I was on the bus and... My baby started to cry and I had to feed him. Something that is often thought of as private, maybe even some places taboo. But I needed to feed my baby and I breastfed my baby. I was sitting next to a man on the bus. He looked over at me and he looked down at my son and he looked back at me and he just said, good mother, good baby. It was so profound. No one had said so simply, 
you're good. He's good. You're doing a good job. And just to be witnessed in that moment was so lovely to have this stranger who was giving me all the validation I needed and was witnessing the work that I was doing. Raising children is work. Feeding children is work. Cleaning up after children is work. And what you want is for that work to be recognised and seen and witnessed. The tricky thing about children and babies is that <laughs> they're like perfect little life coaches in the sense that they are constantly living in the present. So they throw up all over you and then they forget, they move on, they're happy, they're laughing. What you want is someone to see you cleaning up their vomit. So that's another sort of source of loneliness that you will be mopping up after someone who has no sense of what you're doing. And they're just in this constant chaotic present. We're carrying the past and we're planning for the future. She realized that she wanted to be outside more and that she needed to connect with people. So she tried the playground. There would be people who really seemed to have their act together. They had breadsticks, they had wipes, they had matching wellies. And I honestly swerved those people. I wanted the people who, like me, seemed to be teetering along the edge of coping. I think one of the radical acts to overcome my loneliness was just to walk up to strangers and say, have you spoken to anyone today? You know, having a baby is amazing at stripping away your self-consciousness. So why not just show that rawness to another person who is probably feeling equally raw? Soon they left London and moved back to her hometown. People just seemed stickier by which I mean that your eye contact would get caught as you walked past. You see your neighbours, you talk to them, you know what curtains they have, you can hear the TV they're watching. And in my case, I knew that my neighbour was a painter and decorator because I'd seen him coming in and out of his garage. And so when I came to paint my house, I could have gone to the shop and I could have bought all that stuff new and it would have cost me maybe £100, maybe more, or... I could call on the resources of my community. So that's what I did. We have a low fence between our houses. And one day, just over the fence, I said, oh, I'm going to start painting now. We've pulled up all the carpets. And he said, oh, do you need anything? I've got ladders. I've got rollers. I've got trays. And, you know, a pride can sometimes intervene there where you think, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. I can look after myself. But I thought, no. I don't need to be proud. This man is offering me something that I need and one day I'll be able to offer something that he needs in return. So I very gladly took all his stuff and I painted my house and in return I'd cook him a loaf of bread or even a couple of months later sewed up a hole in his coat for him. That's what community is. It's this whole currency above, beyond and separate to money that allows you to do things, have things, reach things, achieve things. And then it goes further, it expands out. Another neighbour came round to introduce herself and she ended up sitting on the sofa and reading a book to my son while I cooked dinner. We are quite wary of dependence, but actually interdependence is the greatest position of strength. If you can weave a network in which you depend on people and they depend on you back, then you are stronger as an individual but you are all stronger. Now feeling more connected, she realized something about the need to be witnessed. Every time you sit there and watch them pick up the raisin or try and mash something into their face or roll around, they want you to be looking at them. They feel 
not just loved, but they know they exist because you are witnessing them. And that, I think, is innate to humanity. We need to be seen to know that we are there. A small baby will cry on their own because the world is blank and unknowable and unfathomable and they need you there as their anchor to say, I'm here, you're here, it's safe, we're okay. The world is smaller than you thought and the world is safer than you feared. So I did a lot of witnessing of my son and a lot of just being there And he did a lot of witnessing me, absorbing, absorbing, absorbing all the time. She saw that in a moment when she took her now two-year-old son swimming. I remember looking up at him from the water and he was picking up shells and putting them in a little line. And he was just talking to himself. He was saying, there's a shell, there's a stick, there's some grass. And it was like all those years of me walking around saying, that's a hawthorn bush and there's a pigeon and there's some grass. He was now doing it. It was beautiful and hilarious and magic that in that moment I saw how far we'd come. He is enacting the very role that I showed him, which is how to be in the world, how to be occupied by small things, how to appreciate your surroundings, how to be free and unselfconscious and happy. And we all want our children to be all sorts of things. We want them to be brave or resilient or kind or thoughtful or funny. But really, ultimately, we want them to be content. And that was a moment of absolute mutual content. You know, it's that idea of us being seen for everything that we do. It's just sort of a nice reminder that loneliness is common and it's understandable. 100%. And that's the show. Thanks for taking the ride with us. I want to thank expert Dr. Julie Fraga and Nell Frizzell. And we want to thank you for listening. If you like this episode, share it with your friends, share it with your community and spread the word. Thank you to Munchkin. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can find all of your favorite Munchkin products at Bye Bye Baby. And at Stroller Coaster, we are about community. If you have a question, a topic you want to hear more about, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. Hey, Justin, you want to tell us a bit about Storytime? Stroller Coaster Storytime is another podcast that we do where we take classic children's stories and we sort of do them in our own way. It's for kids and parents. Uh, we have improv actors who, uh, who perform the stories. Lynn, are you familiar with Goldilocks and the Three Bears? Sure, of course, a classic. Well, we put our own spin on it. This is called Goldilocks, the Three Bears, and Aunt Joni. Important character. Here's a clip. Goldilocks went into the house. In the kitchen, she saw three bowls of porridge. If you've never had porridge before, you must try it. It's delicious. Porridge, porridge, it's not bad. It's so good, it'll make you glad. (laughs) So fun. Justin, where can we find it? It's right here in the same feed. Just look for Stroller Coaster Storytime. Before we go, Munchkin invites you to join us in helping make the planet a better place for our kids. Support organizations that protect animals and their natural habitat, like IFA, the International Fund for Animal Welfare. And now that you're ready to do something for the planet, here's something you can do for yourself. Take a time out. Let's transport ourselves to the Tabin Wildlife Reserve in Malaysia. It's early morning when your boat sets off along the river. 
Gibbons are calling, cicadas are singing as you witness an amazing sight. Sleepy orangutans yawning and stretching to start the day. Enjoy. Thank <laughs> you.